You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Psalm 35, here's what it says. You can follow along with me on the screen or in your own Bible. Here's what it says. Psalm 35 of David. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery, with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me, without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it, and let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his destruction. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. But at my stumbling... They rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing, like profane mockers at a feast. They gnash at me with their teeth. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. I will thank you in the great congregation, in the mighty throng, I will praise you. Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes, and let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause, for they do not speak peace. But against those who are quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. They open wide their mouths against me. They say, Aha! Aha! Our eyes have seen it. You have seen, O Lord. Be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself. For my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Aha, our heart's desire. Let them not say, We have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. This is the word of God for the people of God this morning. Amen. Let me pray. Father.
Lord, we ask a blessing over your word. We ask God that you would come and prepare our hearts to hear your word preached. We ask God that you would do a transforming, sanctifying, encouraging, strengthening work among us. Trust you to do this and then some. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 35. Uh, Psalm 35 is typically referred to as what is called an imprecatory psalm. You might be like, what the heck does that mean? Imprecatory. Everybody say it with me. Imprecatory. It'll be on the screen for you in just a moment. Imprecatory. This way you know how to spell it and pronounce it. Everybody say imprecatory. Yeah. It really doesn't matter that you know how to say it, but it'll stick in your mind now. There's roughly about nine of these psalms throughout the psalms. There are also psalms that have what they call imprecatory places in them. The word imprecatory simply means to curse. It basically means to curse your enemy. And in this psalm, it's King David. And he is literally cursing his enemies all throughout this psalm. He's cursing them, he's complaining about them, and he's praying to God that God would annihilate his enemies. And then, on top of that, he actually praises God for his faithful promises to be just and to judge wickedness and evil. Now, it might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Okay, to think about God in this way. We often think about God more in the way of how loving and merciful and kind of like a, a teddy bear grandfather who lets you get away with anything, right? <coughs> but the reality is this. God is righteous. He is a just judge. <coughs> and he avenges wickedness and evil in this world. And it's important for us to see God this way. It's important for us to see Him both as perfectly righteous and just and and an avenging warrior against wickedness and evil on the one hand. And then we also need to see Him as loving and gracious and merciful. A Father who extends compassion to those who turn away from wickedness and evil of sinful living and turn to our crucified, risen, returning Savior in faith. The reality about God (coughs) is that God is both perfectly just and perfectly angry at sin and sinners alike, and He's also perfectly loving and compassionate and gracious and merciful. The reality is that that, that those characteristics of God have been woven to each every one of us, though not perfectly because... Uh, We are broken with sin. But think about the thing that makes you the most angry. Like the greatest injustice you can think of in the world that just gets your blood boiling. That's that's a way that God, in in, in a way, images His way through you, reveals Himself to the world. That You and I are a lot like Him that way. Um, in that we get angry at injustice and things that are horrific, wickedness, right? <clears throat> at the same time, you think of 
of, of something that just makes you want to extend love or mercy or grace or compassion to someone, even someone maybe who, who has just screwed up royally. You think of those moments in your life when you've done that. Uh, that, that that's, that's, an, that's an image of God at work in and through you in those moments. God, God is the same that way, yet different because God is not broken by sin. He is perfectly just and perfectly loving. So overall, I think this psalm, uh, this psalm is both an encouragement to those of us who are facing some really deep hurt, I think, and some deep pain maybe at the hands of someone who maybe has, has hurt you somehow or rejected you somehow. And then I think it's also an invitation to all of us who might be in some way living as an enemy of God in our sin, right? So, so if you're here and you're carrying some really deep um, hurt or, or pain from, from some kind of abandonment um, or maybe some kind of betrayal or some kind of abuse or rejection at the hands of someone that you once trusted, then this psalm is meant for you. It's meant to help you to be encouraged by the trustworthy promises of God's impending judgment and justice against wickedness and evil. At the same time, this psalm is like an invitation for those of us that maybe have been living like God's enemy. If you've been living like God's enemy, you've been loving what is wicked, loving what is evil, hating what is righteous, hating what is good, not pursuing what is good, but actually pursuing or desiring what God says is wrong, then this psalm is an invitation to you as well to give up your war against God and to seek refuge and shelter and acceptance in the loving kindness and the complete forgiveness of the cross of Jesus Christ. So that's the two-sided invitation, I think, that you see in this psalm. And with all that said, here's the way the psalm breaks down. Let's look at the text together for a little bit. Here's the way it basically breaks down. Three different sections. First section is all about calling on God to fight for us. That's verses 1 through 10. Second section is all about trusting in God in the courtroom of accusation. So verses 11 through 18. The third chunk is all about rejoicing in God in the middle of opposition, verses 19 through 28. So let's, let's, let's look at this first section together and think through it together. First section, verses 1 through 10, here's what you see happening. David calls on God to fight for him. Uh, the fear, uh, the fear of being chased by an enemy for no good reason can be really exhausting. You know what I mean? You ever live in kind of that parent paranoia? You know somebody's out to get you. Um, you. You don't think you can trust them. In fact, you know you can't trust them. Um, it wears you out. And David, David seems to be experiencing just that. This exhausted feeling. Um, this exhausted feeling that, that fear basically produces while you're being chased by an enemy. It's, it's almost as though, I think, David, if you, could, if you could imagine this, like he can sense or feel like, like the hot breath of his enemy on the back of his neck, right? Like he's being chased down. 
And so in the midst of that circumstance, what David does is he calls out to God to come and to fight for him on his behalf. You listen to some of the words that he actually uses, right? He calls on God to contend or to fight against his enemies. It's a picture of like boxers in a boxing ring. Basically saying, God, come down and box my enemy. Maybe it's like WWE wrestlers. Come choke slam my enemy. I don't know. That's what he calls on God for. Come fight against my enemies. Come defend me with a shield. Uh, uh, oppose my enemies with a sword and a spear. This is wartime language David is using. He also asks God to remind his own soul. God, remind me that you are the God of my salvation. And he calls on God in those same moments to shame and dishonor his enemies, to turn them around, to make them run in stumbling fear as the Lord pursues them. Like, he actually talks about how the angel of God is going to turn them around and send them packing, and then he's, and he basically says, make their way slippery, right, uh, as the angel pursues them. There's the idea, these guys were once pursuing David, and he's warned, he's like, God, would you please come down, turn them around and chase them away, and as they're running away, make the make their way slippery so that they fall. Wants them to take off stumbling in fear as the Lord breathes down their neck. See, David's enemies, and he makes a point of this, David's enemies had no good reason to afflict him. You ever been accused of something for no good reason? Here's one that I love. And you'll probably track with me. You ever had somebody just look at you and go, you made me feel this way but they don't actually give you a rock-solid thing that you did. They just felt a certain way about you, and somehow you're the bad guy because they felt a certain way. Have you ever, you know what that's like? It's crazy. It's like really passive-aggressive manipulative, if you ask me. It's like, you either give me some rock-solid things that I did to hurt you, <laughs> or go deal with your mommy and daddy issues. <laughs> Sorry. He had no good reason. They had no good reason to come after David. No good reason to afflict him. So what does he do? He calls on the Lord to absolutely destroy them. He says, I want, God, I want you to destroy them. Make them fall into the trap that they set for him. You ever had that feeling that uh, somebody was your enemy? Maybe they once were your friend, but they've been setting a trap for you the whole time. They were found out later that, in fact, they certainly were setting a trap for you. Is that not, number one, really scary? Number two, really painful? Number three, really infuriating? And really exhausting? Like you're always looking over your shoulder wondering, gosh, are they going to come after me now? And this is where David's at. He knows his enemy set a trap for him. And he's saying, God, would you please make them fall into that trap? So the mere thought of knowing that God would answer his call for help, this makes David anticipate, if you're looking at verses 9 and 10, he's anticipating the joy that he's going to feel as he worships God for his salvation. It's something that David knows that he's going to feel all the way deep down inside his bones. You ever feel that kind of joy? Like something you've been waiting for for a long time to be set free from. And suddenly it happens. 
And when that happens, you feel this deep down sense of joy that's, that's more than just surface deep. You're like, man, that, that got me all the way down to my core. This is what David is looking forward to. He knows that God is the one who promises to deliver the poor and the needy and the weak from anyone who tries to oppress or rob them. Nowhere else, nowhere else do you or I see God fighting for us in this way more clearly than at the cross of Jesus Christ. Even when you and I face the pain and the fear and the exhaustion of, of human enemies breathing down our necks, here's what you and I need to know. You and I need to remember that behind those human attacks are dark spiritual forces of Satan, sin, and death. All of whom, all of whom have been defeated by the cross, defeated by the empty tomb, one day will be completely vanquished forever in the final judgment. As you and I, if we've trusted in Christ, experience this this once and for all finality. You know that idea, that concept of once and for all, it's done, final, complete, eternal victory. That's what happens in the judgment when justice is finally completely served once and for all. And here's the reality. All of us in this room and every human that's ever walked the face of this earth, we all deserve that judgment because we're all not perfect. We all know that, right? We're all not perfect because we're broken with sin. Ultimately, all of us deserve that justice, that judgment at the end. But see, in the cross of Christ, if you have trusted in Jesus, His his shed blood, His his broken body, that empty tomb, if you have placed your faith and your trust in Him and you're saying, I trust you and I want you to be the Lord of my life, I want you to direct my footsteps and I, I trust you to save me and to forgive me of my sin, to remove the stains of that filthy sin, if that's where you've been, that's where you're at then all of the justice that you deserved for all of your failures, mistakes, and sins have been placed on Jesus at that cross. He bore the penalty that was due to you and I. So at the end, in the judgment, when Christ comes back, all of that justice is against those who have never turned from their wickedness and their evil. So this is something you and I can trust in now. Well, that kind of leads us to the second point of the text. Second section, David trusts. He trusts in God in the courtroom of accusation, verses 11 through 18. <clears throat> there have been one of those seasons uh, where, where, where somebody that you once uh, thought of as a close friend has set themselves against you has used their words to harm you, um, has maybe done that even behind your back. Um, I think one of the most painful things we experience in this life is the betrayal of a close friend or, or the betrayal of a loved one. 
especially a betrayal uh, from a close friend or a loved one who, who never repents, right? Never says, oh yeah, I'm sorry. All right, I, just, I had a stupid moment. I'm broken. I'm not perfect. I'm sinful. Uh, I'm sorry, right? They, they never turn from that. And instead of actually turning away from that, they actually get worse. You ever experienced that? How about, have you ever been that person? Okay, you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> I think all of us have probably made some pretty grave errors in that way, right? King David, I think, is experiencing this very kind of pain, the pain of betrayal, the ongoing kind of vicious attacks of those who used to be in his inner circle. And David kind of lays it out like he's in a courtroom. I call it the courtroom of accusation. Okay? He talks about questions that they're trying to ask him. And he says that his enemies that they're calling up malicious witnesses, right? People to testify against him, to lie about him, maybe even a sliver of truth, but shrouded with a whole bunch of lies. They're trying to bombard him with questions in the text, right? In these verses. They're bombarding him with questions. And the best illustration I came across this week in one of the commentaries is that, that it's almost like a prosecuting attorney. Anybody ever watched those prosecuting attorneys um, in, in those shows on TV? They bombard you with questions really, really fast so they can try to trick, trip you up so that when you say something, they can then use that against you. That's what's happening here. Uh, these people don't care anything about all the good things he's done for, 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 for them. All, all they want to do is afflict him, right? And he says, even though I used to fast for these people, right? I used to afflict myself. I used to pray. I used to mourn for these people when they were in distress. I, I treated them just like they were a close friend or like they were a close brother. And all they can do now is seek my harm and rejoice when my foot slips just like a vicious wolf trying to tear King David to pieces in front of everybody publicly. You ever been publicly humiliated by someone? That's what's going on. Yet David, and David knows that he's not in that courtroom alone. Anybody here ever sat in a courtroom, been cross-examined by, by an attorney? I can tell you I had one of these experiences. I think I was on the stand for roughly eight hours total in one day. And there were witnesses. And so, so for me, this is really real. Um, and there were witnesses, and they did. They lied about me. And eventually, I remember the prosecuting attorney, so to speak, the, the attorney for the other side, did take like one word from the other side and one word that I had used and put them together and said, well, didn't you admit earlier that you said X, Y, Z? And I was like, uh, wait, wait, what? what? I, I said, what? And I think that's the picture of what's going on here David. He's in this courtroom. So it can be a real lonely place. He knows he's not in that courtroom alone. He knows that the Lord is with him, that he sees everything that's happening to him. And so what does he do? He asks God, hey, how, how long is this going to last? How long is this going to last? And he asks that as he expresses his absolute trust in God. He's trusting that God is going to rescue him from the destructive teeth of lions. And, see, and David can't wait for the day when he experiences that blessing. 
that blessing of trusting in God to come to his rescue because on that day when, when, when God steps into the lion's den, so to speak, on that day, David knows he's going to be completely overwhelmed with gratitude. What do you do when you're filled with gratitude? And you get loud about it, right? You get really loud about it. I'm convinced that there are a lot of really grumpy old Christians in the church. A lot of grumpy young Christians, too. I should say it that way. Okay. There are a lot of grumpy Christians in the church. Why? Because we fail to apply the good news of the gospel to our lives. It's good news. It's good news. I think sometimes what happens for us as believers is we, we, go, through these, um, we go through these rhythms. Uh, we read our Bibles, we pray, we spend time in church and we serve, and it just becomes a rhythm, like a meaningless tradition, you know? And then there's, I think there's other seasons where we just don't even get in to any of it. Like we kind of do the bare minimum to get by. I can't figure out, why, why does my heart feel so cold? Why does my heart feel so dead? And sometimes in those moments, I, I think we do point to circumstances like this, like David is experiencing. We point to the painful experiences in our lives. I know, I know what this is like because I do this too, right? I can give you a long list of what the last couple of years have been like. I can give you a few months that were great and a lot of months that were just terrible. So I've walked these patterns too. And what I, what I keep finding over and over and over again is it's not that I just need to read my Bible more, although I, it'd be good to read my Bible more. Not just I need to hang out with more Christians more and so on and so forth. The disciplines are great. Don't hear me wrong. But what's lacking oftentimes, I find, is the good news of the gospel. It's being reminded. It's being reminded that, that, that God has spoken. God has acted. He has stepped into the lion's den on our behalf. You think about when you and I find ourselves in that courtroom of accusations, okay? When Satan reminds us of our failures, anybody experience that? Five of us. I <laughs> know, love you guys. When Satan reminds us of our failures or sin, when sin lures us into giving in, when, when, when death, does death ever taunt you? Think about this. Death, death can be a very scary thing. And death loves to taunt us with this impending darkness and aloneness of the grave. Those are our enemies in that courtroom. They, they accuse us. They taunt us. They lure us. And when we experience those things, when we understand the gospel and have laid a hold of it, when we know that we're looking forward to this truth that God will step into that lion's den and shut those mouths that are trying to tear us apart, we can stand in that courtroom full of confidence. Confidence knowing that our true king, Jesus, what did he do? He beat our enemies with three nails, two pieces of wood, and an empty grave. Somebody say amen. He beat our enemies with three nails, 
two pieces of wood, an empty grave. When we stand resolutely with that kind of trusting faith in that courtroom, calling on God to fight for us, we do that as we look forward to this overwhelming sense of joy that we will experience in the completed victory of our crucified, risen, returning Savior. This is exactly what David is feeling in this final portion of our text. He feels absolute, unmistakable, unshakable joy. How many of you walked in today feel like your joy has been shaken? Like you just don't have joy. Your strength has been zapped. And my hope and my prayer is that as you hear some of this message, that God would come and restore some of that joy back into your heart. That He would strengthen you. That He would encourage you. As David, in this final portion, man, he rejoices in God right in the midst of the heaviness. Right in the midst of some of the heaviest circumstances of his life. All of his friends are talking trash. All of his friends have set traps. All of his friends are opposed All of his friends have called up other witnesses and they're lying about him. Not only that, but his enemies seem to be so deceived. That's crazy because that's oftentimes what happens. His enemies are so deceived that they're enticed by their own desire to see David destroyed. So enticed by that that they actually work themselves into kind of a a frenzied state of opposition, right? Like they're rejoicing at the prospect of David's downfall. You've got to remember, David's a king. Of these people that were close to him, at one point enjoyed being in his presence because of his power, maybe, or because of his provision, maybe, or because for them, they just got to go, look who I'm friends with, yo. It's King David. You know, guy with the stones, the sling. Oh, he's got this sword that he killed a giant with, too. Like, there's all sorts of stories about David, right? As you know, he's got all these mighty men He's like, he's got a crew that's crazy. These guys follow him around. Like in his inner circle, he's got a dude that killed a lion with his bare hands on a snowy day. Built a trap, jumped down in the pit, snowing. Kills a lion. That was one of David's like top bodyguards. As if David needed a bodyguard. Right? I'm trying to remember the other guys that he had. That dude's name was Benaniah. He got a bunch of dudes close to him, though. And so these guys had once been in some of that inner circle, like, yo, I got to shake Benaniah's hand. He was strong. Yeah, he, he crushed the lion's neck. Those guys once enjoyed being friends with David, and now they're in a place where they want to see David completely destroyed. It's mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. They're rejoicing at the prospect of David's downfall so much so that what are they doing? The text says that they're winking at each other, right? They're winking at each other. So they're kind of like making these little snide comments and snide remarks and, and things like that. You ever have somebody do that to you? You ever do that to somebody? And we love to cover up our anger with passive-aggressive comments. You know what I mean? Because if we can keep a smile on while saying it, you never really know which side of the fence you're actually on. <laughs> That's what they're doing. They're winking at each other. They're calling out to each other with wicked anticipation. Like they're anticipating David's downfall. They're on the edge of their seats. You know how we all love to like watch stupid shows or YouTube videos where where somebody gets hurt? What was it? America's Funniest Home Videos, right? Like what is up with the trampolines, yo, right? 
Like, hello, we, we all know for, for eons, people have been playing trampoline videos where kids get on, they jump on, you know they're going to bounce off the trampoline and land on their head somewhere, right? We enjoy that. <laughs> I don't think it's wrong to enjoy those videos, just so you know. <laughs> just want to clarify. But when stuff's melting down, right? When stuff's melting down maybe in a, in a leader's life, or, or a president's life? Isn't there something inside of us that kind of likes to kind of follow the story? We like to be in on the story. We like to know what's going on. We kind of, we kind of hunger for that downfall to happen. Now, again, these guys were hungering for that in David's life for no good reason. I don't know what the reasons really were. We just know that it was no cause. There was no good reason. That's what they wanted. And they're winking at each other, and they're calling out to each other. They got this wicked anticipation, and they're just basically feeding on this purely unjust, deceptive hatred for David. Isn't it mind-boggling that, that somebody could hate somebody this much to do things like this? David knows that even though his enemies have deceived themselves into believing that they're about to witness his destruction, he knows that the Lord sees everything and that the Lord will actually vindicate him as he shuts the mouths of his enemies forever. And as the Lord turns their unfounded joy, right, his enemy's joy, he's going to turn that into absolute shame and absolute disappointment. Literally, the picture we get here is that the days are numbered for the forces of wickedness and evil in David's day. And we know the same is true for us. The days are numbered for the forces of wickedness and evil. And on the day when the victory of our crucified, risen, and returning Savior, think about this, when Jesus returns, when He comes back, I always love that image that when He comes back, He's, he's on a horse, His clothes are drenched in the blood of the saints who have been martyred by wickedness and evil. Out of his mouth is coming, if I remember right, lightning bolt out of his eyes. Something coming out of his mouth. It's a sword, thank you. It's the word of God, the sword. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth. Lightning bolts coming out of his eyes. Clothes drenched in blood. Fiery flaming hair or something like that. Got a tattoo on his leg. Argue about it all you want. King of kings and Lord of lords. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Here's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking I want to be on the right side of that when that happens. And I'm thinking I want to look forward to that when that happens too. See, when our crucified, risen, and returning Savior manifests across the universe on that day, all of God's enemies will be defeated for good. And they will sit in shame and humiliation and terror because of their unfounded deception and opposition against Christ and His people. And on that day, on that day, I think all of us, right along with King David, we're going to shout for joy. We're going to proclaim the final words of this text. We're going to say this. We're going to say, great 
is the Lord, right? Like, we, I don't know what, like, some of the greatest experiences are that you've had where you just want to get up and jump for joy, right? Like, your kid wins a fantastic football game or something like that, right? Or, or your kid, like, does the music program. Or, 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 or your wife wins an award, right? Or something that just makes you go, yes! That's going to be that moment. We're going to shout for joy. We're going to cry out, great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of His servant. And like David, we're going to tell everyone of the perfect justice of God. We're going to praise Him for His victorious redemption in our lives. That's the text. This is what, this is what David is experiencing. Here's what I want to say as we wrap it up. I want to say that, that pure and everlasting joy in the midst of severe opposition is the result of trusting God in the courtroom of accusation as you call him to fight for you in your weakness. Let me say this all again. This is a big paragraph, right? Pure and everlasting joy in the midst of severe opposition is the result of trusting God in the courtroom of accusation as you call on him to fight for you in your weakness. So I said this a few times already this morning. I don't know what you walked in here with this morning. You know, I don't, I don't really need to know, to be honest with you. That's, that's for God. God gets to know everything. I'm so thankful I'm not God. This is such, so freeing, you know? Have you ever struggled with that? You want to know everything? <laughs> I struggle with that. There's days when it's so good to just to go, I don't know everything. I don't need to. I don't know what you walked in here with. This morning, I don't know what kind of wounds you walked in with that you have received at the hands of some evil or, or, or wicked person or some person who intended something for evil or wicked in your life. I don't know what kind of emotional, relational, spiritual battles you've been fighting this week. I don't know what kind of failures you've uh, experienced this week causing you to feel ashamed or guilty. But here's what I do know. I know three things I want to remind you of as we close. Number one, you have a Savior that has fought for you. You have a Savior that has fought for you. And He will continue to fight for you until you step into eternity completely free from the shackles of your enemies, Satan, sin, death. Two, you have a Savior that you can trust. When your enemies have filled the courtroom of your heart and your mind with all of their lies about you. And again, the crazy thing about our enemy, Satan, sin, and death, is they love to take these little slivers of truth and wrap it up in lies. When you're in that courtroom, when that courtroom of your heart and your mind are filled with those lies, I want you to remember Jesus is in that courtroom. He's in that courtroom and he will turn that courtroom upside down. He will completely annihilate your enemies with his broken body and his shed blood and his empty tomb. Finally, number three, you have a Savior who has filled, was filled with overflowing joy. Say it again. You have a Savior who was filled with overflowing joy as he hopped on that cross in your place. You have a Savior who was filled with overflowing joy as He hopped up on that cross to endure the hate and the shame 
and the horror and the rebellion of your sin so that you could then be filled with joy knowing that your eternal destiny with your Father in heaven is absolutely secure, absolutely unshakable in the face of any opposition you may face. So once again, pure and everlasting joy in the midst of severe opposition, that is the result of trusting God in the courtroom of accusation as you call on Him to fight for you in your weakness. And I always say, the place that you find that kind of joy, the place where your trust in Him is kept strong, uh, the place that you call out to Him from, that place is the foot of a bloody cross. It's the doorway of an empty tomb as you hold on to the unfading promise of eternity in heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to You and we ask, God, that Your Spirit would minister to us in these closing moments. Lord, that You would lead us to that bloody cross. Lord, that You would give us assurance and encouragement and strength. Lord, that You would also reveal hardened areas of our hearts that have been maybe just hardened by pain and sin and wounds. Lord, that you come and soften those places, speak into them, heal them, and at the same time, Father, that you would call us to repentance from ways that we have sinned in just outright rebellion against you, as well as in response to the sin done against us, God. Pray that you'd lead us there. We trust that you will do just that in these closing moments. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.